global hunger has reached unprecedented levels. A combination of war and climate change is having a devastating impact on the food security of over 22 million children across the globe. Can hunger and famine be beaten? I'm Bill Cruz, and you're listening to The Discussion. World Vision is the World Food Program's largest food distribution partner, and Daniel Wordsworth is the Australian CEO. Daniel, what are the flashpoints of global hunger? Well, you can look at flashpoints two ways, I suppose. At, at one state, right now, the geographic flashpoints of global hunger are across pretty much the Horn of Africa, but you're all seeing, also seeing it in Syria, across parts of the Middle East, through Asia. And I was just recently in Latin America where you could see the impact of the hunger crisis. Also, you can look at the other way to look at it is places that are affected by environmental degradation, places affected by conflict. And like all of us, places that have been negatively affected by COVID over the last few years. Hunger's rising amongst refugee children worldwide. Just how bad is that situation? It's dreadful. Only in the last 24 hours, I was talking to a dear friend of mine who was an aid worker in the Zaatari refugee camp that's in Jordan, and it's for Syrian refugees. And 80% of their budget has been cut because of other humanitarian crises around the world. So you're seeing acute malnutrition breaking out inside of refugee camps. What's the impact of war on global hunger? War has an impact on global hunger in a number of ways. At the most basic level, when a war is breaking out inside a country, it disrupts farming, it disrupts rural areas, it causes a breakdown in transport, means farmers can't get their crops to market, so there's just less of food available. It also makes countries more dangerous, and so it makes it harder um, for people to get out and to, you know, engage in farming and industry. But it affects it also when you have a country like Ukraine that produces so much wheat. When that country is taken out by a conflict, that also has an impact on food prices. A country like Somalia, for example, 60 to 70% of the grain it used to import came from Ukraine before that war started, and so so now you have much less going in. What about natural disasters? Because, of course, there's drought, but also flooding rains. I imagine both call for different responses and planning. Yes. Uh, When you have natural disasters, you can have a mix of things. Um, You know, a famine in many ways, a a drought is a natural disaster, but often it's fed by environmental degradation and conflict, as we've said. Uh, So that's a long-term response. We call those slow-onset disasters, and so sometimes you have more time to prepare When something like a flood happens or an earthquake happens, we call those rapid onset disasters. And you have to have the ability to respond very rapidly. Uh, For example, um, in the more recent months, we had the big earthquake that hit Turkey and Syria. Thankfully, we had teams on the ground and we were able to respond immediately. But um, in many of those instances, you have to mobilize teams from around the world, get them in as quickly as possible because people are suffering from the very first moment that that breaks out. So a key question for World Vision when we're responding to a disaster or an emergency is, is it a rapid onset one or a slow onset? So in the case of a drought and things like famine, those are slow onset uh, disasters. And so we have a little bit time to, a bit more time to prepare, time to deploy teams and time to get ready. So in the case of the hunger crisis, World Vision saw that coming many months in advance We've managed to mobilize our teams. And and through the hunger crisis, we've reached almost 30 million people with food and humanitarian assistance. 
when when something like a rapid onset disaster happens, like an earthquake or a flood, or if a war breaks out suddenly, uh, then you have to act much more quickly. And so we have to lean on the emergency teams we have around the world, and we mobilize them, we get them on the ground as quick as we possibly can, and we try to respond respond sort of on the fly. In many cases, though, because World Vision is in so many places, we already have teams on the ground. So when the earthquake happened in Turkey and Syria, our teams were already there on the ground. We're actually caught up in the earthquake, but they could respond and begin providing assistance within a matter of hours. I'm talking with Daniel Wordsworth, the CEO of World Vision Australia. Daniel, how concerned are you about the impact of climate change on famine? Uh, incredibly concerned. That's going to be the driver in the future uh, for famine, uh, for the movement of people. I was just recently sitting right on the border of Guatemala and Honduras, and I was sort of in these sort of deep mountainy areas uh, with a lot of rural communities. And what was driving a lot of the movement, we've all been seeing in the news, the movement of migrants through Latin America up into Mexico, what I discovered is that much of the what was driving that in the rural areas was hunger, actually. And then when you sort of dug into the hunger crisis there, what they told us was they just don't understand or know what's happening anymore. That in the past, there were very set seasons in the year. They knew exactly when to plant. They knew exactly when to harvest. They knew what the weather was doing, what the land was doing. But now they have no clue. They have small times of rainfall. They then don't know whether they should plant or not. And so this confusion means there's much less crop being put into the ground. There's less food being grown. And so climate is um, messing with entire systems already. Many of the countries in which you work have got their own political problems of corruption and lawlessness. How do you navigate that? Well, that's, I think, part of the expertise that people lean on when they donate to World Vision. And that's the realization that we've been doing this work for 70, 80 years. We're actually experts on this. Now, we, we do this many different ways. Um, I think key is that we're already on the ground, that in 100, 100 countries around the world, we're already there. We have teams already working in these environments, and most of them come from those countries themselves. They know how to navigate this. So we have existing relationships, existing networks, existing uh, boots on the ground, if you like, in these places. Now, we're also very clear that by having our own teams on the ground, we're, we're able to work with communities themselves at the grassroots to deliver assistance. We're not reliant on governments. We're not reliant on other partners to deliver this. We have our own capacity, and within, and then alongside of that, we have very tight systems of accounting. Uh, we have very tight logistic systems, so logistic systems. So we always know what's happening, where our assistance is going, and we can monitor it very closely. A pessimist might say, "Well, we'll never beat global hunger." What do you say to that? Well, I'm, I, I think of myself as a reluctant optimist, but I would say, no, there are ways that you can uh, deal with this. That. Um, you only, I mean, hopelessness is most felt at distance. When you're actually there, you can see a hundred things that you can do. We had a, we were in, I'll give two examples of it. Uh, in the 80s, we're all familiar with the crisis that happened in Ethiopia around famine. That was the famous, uh, the Live Aid concert, all of that. World Vision has been working with the communities that were ground zero of that very crisis. And right now, 
because of the work that we've done in those communities, they have a grain surplus and they, in Ethiopia, very same places, they are now selling their grain surplus to the World Food Programme to deliver to other communities within Ethiopia. So there is a way to work with communities and get them prepared for this. Uh, inside Somalia, we're doing a similar kind of work. And, and a big part of that is regenerating the forest, regenerating the farmland. That we have an approach that can regrow forests and can improve degraded farmland, not in generations, but in years. Two to, two to six years we can regenerate incredibly degraded land and get it back into a situation where it won't be affected by famine. So there are ways to change. There are ways to improve this situation. And the good news is we're working on those. Daniel Wordsworth from World Visions with me. Daniel, is there a silver bullet for beating hunger and famine? After doing this work for so long, I would say in general, there's no silver bullet for anything. It's like any society. You have to work on multiple fronts. to both stop famine occurring, to respond to famine and hunger when it's happening, and then to help rebuild after it. There's lots of things that you need to do. You need to be able to provide malnutrition services for children, get um, emergency food supplies to communities that are in particular need, set up refugee camps for those that are already fleeing. So there's a, a multiplicity of things that you need to do, and we do all of those things. I will say, in recent years, this forest regeneration thing that I was just talking about, that's as close to a silver bullet as anything that I've ever seen. That we now, I now know that we can go into very degraded, desert-like places and help entire forests regrow, not by planting trees, but by actually tapping the root system that lies under much of this desert and unleashing these trees to regrow. And it almost sounds too miraculous to be true, but it's not. In a place like Niger, we've managed to regenerate almost half of the arable land of that country. And as, as I've already mentioned, we're doing it in Ethiopia, we're doing it in Somalia, 29 countries actually. So there is a way that's almost, and I'm really hesitant to say it, but as close to a silver bullet as you can get, to improving this degraded land and, and getting communities into a place where they can weather these kind of hunger events and uh, not lose their kids through it. So what about agencies like yours? Are they more effective at delivering aid than the UN? You know, often we deliver on behalf of the UN. So as you mentioned, World Vision is the largest partner for World Food Programme. So if, you th- if one way to think about it, I suppose, is that well, uh, World Food Programme can work with governments around the world and mobilise budgets and mobilise large grain uh, resources and they can get ships moving and aeroplanes moving and get huge amounts of food into the ports. What World Vision's great at doing is like, it's like a relay, if you like. Uh, they then hand it over to us and we have that last mile. We have the connection to the communities. We have the vehicles and the logistics that can get the food from the port out into the more distant areas that are affected by the crisis and make sure people are okay. So it's more of a partnership than anything else. We all need each other. I can hear your optimism, you know, and it's a pretty grey kind of world at the minute. So are you optimistic about the world's ability to eliminate hunger? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I would say there are two things, and I, I suppose I have one caveat, but the problem we have is the news and is always focused on the smaller amount of bad things. 
And what you don't see are the larger amount of good things. And it's just true after 25 years of doing this work, uh, even when you go into the most devastated of places, you see people responding, you see communities rebuilding, you see countries that are getting out of these problems. You know, there, there's um, the good that is happening in the world is actually far more overwhelming than the bad. That's not to say that bad isn't happening. There's bad stuff happening. It's just that the good is more overwhelming than that. But But here's my caveat. If we all just sit back on our rear ends and do nothing, well, then the world is going to get worse and worse and worse. So if I'm to be optimistic, it's based on the assumption that I believe that all of us human beings are willing to jump up and say, you know what, I'm going to pitch in, I'm going to make the world better. And I realize that if we all do that, we can make the world much better. You know, sometimes the temptation is to look at the world and say, what is it that I can do by myself? And the answer is absolutely nothing. But you're not by yourself. There are people like me. There are people like you. There are literally hundreds of thousands of people that every single day are doing good in the world. So we're just asking folks to jump in and join us. Daniel, I am so glad there are people like you in this world. Thank you for talking to me. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill.